Hey, real quick, I just wanted to let you know that Gabba Gabba Hunt is now a record store. Well, not really a store, but a booth at an antique store located in Eastridge Mall in Gastonia, North Carolina. Vintage Village is three stores down from Dillard's on the left. And my booth is on the left side of Vintage Village. It's the one with all the records. You can't miss it. I've got over a thousand records, toys, t-shirts, DVDs, VHS, all kinds of stuff there. So come check it out. Gabba Gabba Hunt Records and Vintage Goods located in Vintage Village at Eastridge Mall, Gastonia, North Carolina. You are now listening to the Gabba Gabba Hunt Talks Podcast, where we bring you conversations with people connected to the Carolina's underground music scene. Your host, Mike Phillips of Van Huskins. It's funny that the more time I spend away from living in Charlotte, like the more I like not living in Charlotte. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like when I moved back, I was like, I'm only going to live in the city. And now when I have to go into the city, I'm like. Uh, yeah. I, there's just times when I think I'd like to live in Charlotte, but I think for the most part, I like living in a smaller town where, like, yeah. It don't matter where I go. It's not like when people complain about going out in places in Charlotte, like if I have to go somewhere in town, it's, it's, it's not hard. Like yeah. Even with the grocery stores, just like it's pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I like all you know, just the convenience of being in a small town, but being fairly yeah. close to Charlotte, so I can be there like. In 30 I didn't minutes, used 45. to be like that, and it's kind of funny because I never thought it would be. Because I've always wanted to be like in the middle of it all, yeah. and it's just like, nah. Honestly, not being in the middle of it all means uh, that you have to put effort into doing things, and yeah. it's like that it's sometimes that's the decision like do i really want to do this yeah and, and you don't have to stay like right on the mic okay. i just wanted to kind of get a little bit closer cool. to you because yeah. that i think it sounds fairly good in here but i never yeah. know until i get home like what it's actually going to yeah, sound like and what, you what might i have to have deal that with. industrial heater that, in that's fine i've had fans and things in the background i've done it in, in bars before where there's been a lot of people talking and laughing in the background it cool. always works out um i can scrub like that kind of noise i can kind of scrub it a little bit not not completely but I, I never mind it. As long as people can hear what we're saying, that's that's the important thing. Um, we can go ahead and get started. Um, yeah. So uh, today I'm talking to Jason Parker. And for anybody that's been in the scene for a long time or was active in the scene back in the mid-90s, they may remember him as Casper. Um, I believe is the name that like, nickname you went by. Yeah, yeah, it was. And we, we can kind of talk about that when we get around to it. It's not, not super important, but I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. And... Um, as I usually do, we'll, we'll talk about all the bands you've been in and stuff here in a little bit too. But as I usually do, I kind of like to get started with you know, sort of where your involvement or your interest in music was when you were a kid. Like, what was one of the things about music that grabbed you as a kid? And- um, so my parents weren't weren't musical, mm-hmm. um, but my parents were young, yeah. so I was always listening to pop radio and mom's car. Mm-hmm. And so you know, we were listening to the stuff that was on the radio. It was like eighties pop, yeah. um, and. Uh, my first band that I spent my own money on was the Beach Boys. Okay, yeah. Um, they're one of my favorite bands because my mom was kind of into the beach music scene. Mm-hmm. She liked to shag and dance and stuff. So between the, the Top 40 channel, we would listen to the Oldies channel. And out of that, what stood out to me was the Beach Boys. And then uh, right up the road from here was that 321 Flea Market mm-hmm. back in the day. Yeah, yeah. And there was the guy that had the cassette yeah. record booth. <laughs> And that was what I remember spending my my first money on was the Beach Boys. Yeah, I don't really talk about that much, but the Beach Boys were, were one of those bands that, that I, I liked when I was a kid because they were in my parents' record collection. It was something yeah. I, I heard. And, uh, you know, everybody knew sort of the hit songs. 
yeah. growing up. They're, they're just one of those really accessible bands that, that people kind of get into. And, 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 you know, as you get older, you realize they're, they're really a good band. <laughs> they're a great band. Yeah. And, you know, everybody, anybody that's like an, an old Beach Boys fan will say that they started with Pet Sounds and nobody started with Pet Sounds. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, you no. discover Pet Sounds <laughs> later. Everyone's like, oh, Pet Sounds is incredible. And it is an incredible album. Yeah, you yeah. didn't start with Pet Sounds. You're like, you started with like In My Room and Surfer Girl, oh, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, but it was just that pop, pop sensibility. And I mean, and even to stuff that I write and listen to today, like mm-hmm. I can tell that it's rooted from Beach Boys. Yeah. Oh, Beach Boys. Beach Boys are huge in, in, in punk rock, really. I mean, especially in the, yeah, the yeah. pop punk scene. It was uh, almost like, you know, the queers sort of modeled themselves after the Beach Boys in a way. Yeah. And, yeah. and also they had like what was popular back then, the uniform look. They mm-hmm. almost wore uniform. They were like matching outfits the ventures did that a lot too they played you know fender strats they had the fender look Mm -hmm. you know uh usually a broke down drum kit they were like kind of mod with their look you know i remember you know kind of catching on to that and thinking that they also like looked really cool at it uh and then one of my first concerts was Beach Boys mm-hmm. at Carowinds with John Stamos playing drums. There's, that's one of those bands. As many times as they've been through Charlotte, and as many times as, as they played like Carowinds and places where I could have easily seen them, I can't believe I never actually saw the Beach Boys because just about everybody I know has seen them at least once. Now I've yeah. seen Brian Wilson, but I've not seen the Beach Boys yet. So maybe I can fix that. Yeah. I think they're coming back around sometime pretty soon. I, I remember um, being very unimpressed, mm-hmm. um, and it was my first big like Palladium show. I mean, I was stoked to see the beach boys but uh you know they couldn't hit the highs anymore and everything and i wasn't nearly as forgiving and had no understanding of a live show so i was just like oh this does not sound like my cassette that they recorded 30 years ago but um that was my first show um dad was kind of generic you know like i remember him buying like uh born in the usa on vinyl and he would he had like the scorpions tape and he was scenario speedwagon yeah. and then that's all fine you know I, I he was Elton john i liked all that stuff one thing that's really ironic was i had an early distaste for classic rock mm-hmm. because it was just kind of shoved down my throat yeah, i'm yeah. a blue collar family like whenever I was on a job site on my summer jobs or whatever, it was just like if you grew up around here, like you had the John Boy and Billy show shoved oh, down yeah, your yeah, throat, trust me, I, and it was the same twelve <laughs> songs. I kind of went through that phase where I, because I, I grew up listening to a lot of that stuff, and especially once I got into like in the in the eighties, I got into hard rock and stuff, and so a lot of the classic rock came along with that. But at a certain point, I was like, that was I was way too cool for that for a little while, but it all sort of came back to me. Yeah, but yeah, I, I can see where because it, it was so popular, and that's what. Everybody, everybody listens yeah. to the Fox, um, so I can see why you wouldn't you'd be turned off by that. For now, sure. now that I've got older, mm-hmm. like I think it's kind of nice that I can go back and listen to some of that and enjoy it. Oh yeah, yeah. you know. Um, but there was definitely a period in my life where I I can't enjoy this because I feel like it's just it's forced on me. Like I don't think it has the energy or the angst mm-hmm. that I have when I was younger. You know that my music taste kind of went along with that. Um, but then when I was getting up in age uh i found i found like radio hip-hop mm-hmm. like when i started developing my own taste and i mean it was really bad looking back on it now but i really liked it then you know like when cd long boxes were out oh, yeah, and i'm yeah. like in fifth and sixth grade you know it was like vanilla ice and mc hammer and mm-hmm. bell bib devoe and all that stuff and I like uh, one of those three <laughs> yeah and ironically so another thing that kind of shaped me musically really young and this is this is a pretty funny story. So my mom dated for a long while mm-hmm. a Rod Stewart impersonator. Oh wow! 
Yeah. So his name was Mick Mako. He changed his name to Mick Mako. Okay. So it was Mick Mako and the Hot Rods. Yeah. And this this guy was pretty much my stepdad. He was like in line to be my stepdad there. Yeah, yeah. You know, like um, we hung out all the time, like almost married my mom. But he would do these shows, uh, his whole full band, and he would do like costume changes and yeah. stuff. And this is my first like up close experience of what a live show oh, yeah, was like. Yeah. And uh, uh, he, he, would pull me out to do Forever Young on stage with them. Yeah. So the first time I ever did anything on stage other than like a piano recital mm-hmm. when I was really young, I was <laughs> did a Rod Stewart song with my mom's boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I was uh, super dorky, but he taught me how to like spike my hair and I was wearing like skinny ties to, mm. to picture day. I was like really into the new wave look in sixth grade. So I was getting beat up a lot. Uh, <laughs> had to fight a lot. Um, and, and my ears were like too big for my head and I was super skinny man I looked like a chipmunk but uh, that kind of got me a little bit more rooted in some of the new wave stuff that was going on that yeah. I, I didn't realize had kind of got into my bones like I had a really early love for like Blondie and the police okay. and the yeah. clash without having any really concept of what like punk or new wave was it was just the stuff that stuck out on top 40 radio and plus Bonnie, like they all had the skinny ties and the swimsuits yeah. and stuff. They just fucking looked cool. So music changed for me pretty much right as I started junior high. Mm-hmm. And that was when I met Josh Featherston, yeah. who would be yeah. my best friend for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. We literally met the first day of school. He was like, cool earring. Is that your mom's? And yeah. I was like, no, no, it's mine. I picked it out. I had my ear pierced at the Pearson Pagoda in the middle of East Ridge Mall. Yeah. His mom was young. She's hip. And then from then on, we were both listening to like bad hip hop. Mm-hmm. But we didn't even have cable at my mom's house um, at the time. I think that came like a couple years later. We were yeah. out in the country. Yeah, yeah. But over at my grandparents' house, like on the weekends, and you know, MTV was only doing hip hop during like yo MTV raps. It mm-hmm. wasn't like part of the regular rotation. Yeah, yeah. Back then it was like yeah. there was top forty, and then there was the rap show, and then there was the hard rock show. Yep. And, yeah. and you know, at that point, I wasn't staying up late enough to know about Headbangers Ball and and then the things that come later, like 120 minutes and things yeah, like yeah. that. So you know, like my exposure other than the radio was bumping the cable dial over to BET that was playing videos. They were mainly music format back then, you know? And, uh, you know, that's where I found like public enemy and like ghetto boys and like tribe called quest Mm -hmm. and, uh, NWA. And it was angrier and it, and it felt naughty. Like I'm not supposed to be listening (laughs) to this, you know? And then I felt that energy. And uh, of course we were listening to like a bunch of Man, going back and listening to Two Live Crew right now, mm-hmm. it doesn't hold up. Yeah. It's so <laughs> bad. But I remember like making dubs of dubs to give to our friends because we weren't supposed to be listening to it. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, That's how it got passed around with us, too. Yeah. Like, oh, man, you got to hear this thing. Yeah. We used to buy stuff because it had the Paranormal Advisory sticker on yeah, it. Yeah. You know, thank you, Tipper Gore. <laughs> um, so that was music first for us. And um, Josh and I's first band was a hip-hop group that was pretty much all in our head because like okay, yeah. well where are you going to go and rehearse or do yeah, it? yeah yeah it's but we were dj damage and the damage crew mm-hmm. this is all josh is <laughs> doing I, apparently i was the flavor flavor of the group i was the hype man yeah. so i was jp hype stuff he was dj damage um and we got all of our friends and like we we like took a cue from like public enemy because mm-hmm. like when you got like 
the Apocalypse 91 cassette, it folded out like 10 times. Yeah, yeah. And there were like 15 members in the band, and they're all in some sort of military mm-hmm. fatigues. And, you know, they all have names like the Media Assassin and thing. So all our friends had like some crazy hip-hop name. It was like Agent AK-47 and <laughs> AC the Enforcer. And like, we would never get together and practice or rehearse. Mm-hmm. But what was cool about that was we actually started writing songs on paper, like first chorus, first chorus. Josh and I pretty much just lived to make each other laugh. I don't think it's anything we took seriously. Yeah, me and my friends did that stuff too. Like before we started the serious band, and then we started the serious band, we pulled those lyrics out, went, we can't use these. Yeah. (laughs) And, but we ended up not knowing, and that would happen. In all kind of things for me, whether it be music or art or whatever, mm-hmm. that you're inadvertently doing something that's yeah, building a yeah. skill set that you don't even really realize what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so while like Damage Crew never really did anything, we were writing songs. Yeah. And we ha- I had this like it was a toy, but it was like a like a radio DJ soundboard dual tape deck with a microphone. Mm-hmm. So you could do sound effects and you could kind of speed things up, slow things down. But the cool thing was back then, you know, cassette singles would normally have like an instrumental on the back yeah, yeah and so you know we would try and chop up tape beats which is mm. really hard to do if you don't know what you're doing but we did a little bit of like two track recording with dual dual tape decks that ended up turning into we didn't take it seriously so it completely became a joke mm. we picked one of our friends and built an entire persona around this kid and, <laughs> and he didn't even know he didn't know that we invented a rap group around him yeah. that had 95 members in it. And we named all 95 <laughs> members and they had albums and yeah. we were like drawing album covers and writing songs and making sure the album covers fit in the CD properly mm-hmm. and just to make each other laugh. Yeah. <laughs> all skills that we were going to learn oh, by yeah. the time you're, we found. Gonna, yeah, you want to use those later on for sure. Yeah. And then uh, music changed. I mean, everything kind of changed like. About a year after that, like the world changed. Yeah. I mean, like once grunge hit and skateboarding was in a revival mm-hmm. and, you know, punk rock was coming back because grunge, you know, brought it to the forefront. I mean, the world changed from yeah. then musically. Um, I had a, uh, a stepbrother that I wasn't close with that was a delinquent. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's in jail now. Um, but he listened to like Skid Row. He had like pictures of like Sebastian Bach on his walls and stuff. Yeah. It was kind of weird. Yeah. Um, but you know, he listened to rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Like he was a rocker. Um, but he handed me a mixtape that was not labeled very well. Yeah. And I think it was like before he went off to juvies, like here's some of my things. Make sure you listen to this. And we're listening to everything that everyone was listening to. You know, like Nirvana was the thing, mm-hmm. you know, the Weezer Blue album, you know, like Green Day, like all this stuff is coming out in the early 90s. I mean, we knew about some of those before they broke because of Thrasher magazine. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of the places weren't carrying new Thrasher on the shelves. So that same flea market where I used to get cassettes from, yep. we'd get like five-year-old copies of Thrasher magazine, and mm-hmm. it would have like the SST records yeah, like logo in there yeah. and like quarter-page ads. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, a lot of that stuff was on my radar, but, you know, we're still trying to put together like what punk is. You know, we grew up where like 
the way the movies and media portray punk rock to this day, like going yeah. back and watching anything, it's so funny, man. You like Return of the Living Dead, yeah. like <laughs> they think that this is what punk rock is, yeah. or like they were always the villain in every video game. Yeah. It was always like some pink haired biker chick that always had a whip or a chain yeah, punk, for punk some reason. Were, were, like all through the 80s, punk rockers were in all kinds of movies, but they were yeah. always the bad guys. <laughs> yeah, they're always the bad guys. And, and, it was always, and, and lip, lip rings and stuff like that. Just, right. uh, <laughs> it was always like misportrayed, but I was fascinated by, you know, like, uh, the cramps poster in Christian Slater's room and, and gleam in the cube, you know, yeah. and he's like wearing a misfit shirt and that, and, and it's like starting to piece together what punk is. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that mixtape that my stepbrother gave me, it, it, it had like a DI and minor threat and, um, anger Samoans mm-hmm. circle jerks. And, uh, Pretty sure Josh talked about this cassette too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean it changed everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We got a drummer. Josh taught me how to play guitar. Uh, I'm going to try and so I'm not just rambling forever because we're talking about my favorite <laughs> my favorite shit ever right now. That's that's what I love about talking to people about this. Is mm-hmm. My job's pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. Just start recording and let you well, go. So also being that you know Josh, you know that like Josh's dad was a guitarist. He like pretty much built guitars from scratch. Mm-hmm. He was he was a tinker. Um, he would play in like the church band and stuff. So Josh already knew how to play guitar. I don't think he was very invested in it, Yeah, yeah. but you know, he had a guitar and he'd been playing for a while. So when we had kind of found that there was like rock and roll music that matched that like angst and energy that, that we had found in, in hip hop, you know, mm-hmm. like when we started discovering what punk rock was and, um, the best parts of, of of grunge you know we were like man this is what we want to do yeah he was already kind of set up to move into that world yeah and uh i still don't know how to play guitar well mm. but josh was like you know here here's a power chord that's all you need to know for now yeah you know now yeah you mentioned a little while ago piano recitals did you learn did you know how to play piano yeah or- I, it was kind of forced on me not forced. It was just, you know, mom's attempt for me to do mm. something extracurricular. Was that the only instrument mm-hmm. you played as a child before you picked up a guitar or before yeah, Josh put a guitar so, in your hands? So, so Josh and I were, were both trumpet players our first year okay. in band, and yeah, we, yeah. we got kicked out of band. Uh, this sort of same happened to me. It's yeah. like the, the, the band director told me, you either get serious or you need to quit. And I was like, I quit. Yeah, yeah I quit. <laughs> we, we would, it was weird. We had our own personal competition of who would be last chair. It was like me and Josh and this kid, Brian, that we hung around with. And it was like we would kind of move around the last three chairs and just didn't take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to play saxophone. I didn't get saxophone. I'm, Same here. I'm, I'm, I yeah. may have stuck with it. Same here. <laughs> but I felt like, well, well, you put me on something I don't really want to play. Uh, I kind of wish I would have stuck with that. I would later like go on to really, really, really like Miles Davis and, mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. But I, I never... I, I didn't retain any of that. I couldn't pick one up same. and play. I, I couldn't play single note. I think no. I talked about last week. The trombone was what I played in, in school, but I might as well have never played it. And I, I wish I retained some of that at least. But. Yeah. And I, and I understand why like parents push for that and why it's part of curriculum. Mm-hmm. Like you should learn an instrument. It's, it's, it's activating other parts of your brain. It's just, you know, I was so ADD, you know, back then when I was in piano lessons. Now I can still play a little piano. I retain that. It yeah, would yeah. end up being very detrimental to me when it came to like you know reading any sort of music or tab or like putting together melodies and then i would end up being the weakest guitarist in a band and actually playing keyboards like later in like an indie rock band so i mean i can poke around on one i'm not definitely not a piano player but you know that was 
I think I only did lessons for about two years. Yeah. yeah. And what's crazy about that is I hated recitals. I was so shy. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just kind of like tucked back. I, you know, like I was a weird kid. I didn't have any siblings. We grew up in the woods. Like I felt like I was socially awkward. I really didn't like being in front of people. Yeah. But it goes <laughs> like to that when it becomes something you want to do. When it exactly. came when yeah. it came time to play rock and roll, like I mean, that I was doing what I wanted to do. There was never any you know, fear or stage fright or anything. I mean, of course you get like pre-show yeah, anxiety or something, but, um, I think for a lot of people, or at least for me, like the fact that I wasn't on stage by myself, because like I was always nervous speaking in front of any kind of group of people, whether it's my best friends or people I didn't know yeah, any, anything tough. like that. But then when, once I found like drama and, and then later music, it was like, Oh, here's a group of people that I can get up on stage with and, and create something and do something. And people can watch me and I'm fine with that. Because yeah. I'm, I'm a part of a group. And now, it's also, I still got to break down that or get the, past that getting on stage by myself eventually. I do want to do that at, a, at an open mic or something. Yeah, that's tough. And I've done it a couple of times. I, I, I feel like uh, I'm not strong enough of a musician as a standalone, mm-hmm. you know? like That's why I keep threatening to do just this 10-minute bass solo for, yeah, my, yeah. for my open mic. <laughs> but, you know, when you're up there, it's like you said, it's like once you, when you've got your guitar on, it's like it's your shield, mm-hmm. you know? And you're, you're in your, your element and you're doing your thing, and in most cases with your best friends in the world. So yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, you're indestructible. Um, so the where we got up to is like where Josh had kind of taught me how to play guitar a yeah. little bit. And so uh, Ryan Henry, he's Keenan now. That's a different story. But Ryan was our bass player and he was a year younger than me mm-hmm. josh got held back so when i bumped over to high school they were back behind me mm-hmm. you know and they kind of formed a band in our middle school we started practicing with this guy ryan that ironically lived directly across the street from our middle school and he had a basement which you don't have here mm-hmm. in the in the south he had an old like midwest style basement that you know they put carpet on the walls and they were playing songs i was you know still hanging out with Josh. He's my best friend in the world, but I wasn't making music with him because we didn't have cars. You know, yeah. that, that's a, that's a whole thing. Um, that changed everything for everybody. <laughs> when you get a car, when you got a car, <laughs> I, uh, so I was having problems at home. Um, like, you know, my, my stepdad was a real dick and, um, I, uh, it was, it was, it was tough on me. And I, uh, I ended up like going to live with my dad for a little while. And, you know, my dad was, you know, he he was an alcoholic and kind of checked out. You know, we we weren't close for a while. He was a great, great dad, super cool dude when we were younger. But there was like this void where we didn't hang out that much. And all of a sudden he has a teenager. He has a punk rock teenager yeah. that he doesn't, you know, he hasn't been doing any of the hard stuff. So he didn't know how to do it. And mm-hmm. so there was a senior at my high school, Eric White, which was Alan White's little brother. Okay. And Eric White realized that I pretty much wore the same three punk rock shirts to school and, you know, had dirty skateboard shoes with holes in them and yeah. stuff. And uh, I thought it was super cool because he's an upperclassman and the dude um, had impeccable taste in music. Um, he kind of took me under his wing and we started hanging out. And he's like, man, I, I pretty much live with my older brother. Like, why don't you come over to our place and, like, hang out, you know? And, and I would go over to Eric and Alan White's house. Mm-hmm. Which was their mom's place, but she was always at, you know, her boyfriend's house. So the house is just pretty much ours. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it was a really good environment because they were both like rock and roll dudes, but they held steady jobs and they kept a clean house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Eric had great grades in school, you know, like, um, 
you know, they had their shit together. It yeah, was like yeah. a really good example for me to have like, you know, I didn't have positive male role models. And, you know, now it's just a dude that's only a couple years older, me and his older brother. But um, I still couldn't really play guitar. I mm. had a guitar and I was just kind of beating around on it. And Eric really wanted to be in a band. And uh, he was into like gothic industrial stuff, okay. which I listened to. I think yeah. we all had a Nine Inch Nails phase. You yeah, know? Yeah. Like, I liked <laughs> Nine Inch Nails, but he was like deep into it. You know, uh, Pig Face and Skinny Puppy and Eiches and Dubot mm-hmm. and, and like crazy German bands. And, you know, but he was like, I, I like you know this gothic industrial stuff is like you should play guitar for me like you don't have to play guitar we just make noise and Mm. he kind of taught me how to make noise and then with you know alan being in the house i was able to um go through alan's plethora of guitar pedals yeah (laughs) and just like let's make a bunch of put a bunch of boxes that make noise together and make even more noise oh yeah yeah and uh, also, Alan had an incredible record collection, mm-hmm. like just a super awesome record collection, yeah. like old school punk rock. Um, you know, there was an Anger Simmons record in there um, uh, that I remember he had. I think he had like D.I. Live at a Dive, things like that. Um, he was a big Beastie Boys fan. Mm-hmm. So it was like early Beastie Boys. Um, so I'm jamming with Eric and we need to find a bass player. Mm-hmm. And then Josh and the dudes are jamming in their own band, you know, uh, separately from me. And another big change for me is like Eric worked at the Auto Bell Car Wash with mm-hmm. Johnny. Okay, yeah, yeah. So uh, John Lunchbox, Johnny Dick, however you guys know him, you know, John came over to play bass with us, and you know, John uh, was in. Uh, is it Guppy Love? Yeah. And they, and they had like, you know, kind of a, an industrial vibe. Yeah. You know, goth industrial vibe. And then Eric was a big fan. And I was kind of starstruck when I met John because Eric stuck me in the back door at Milestone mm-hmm. to see Guppy Love play one of their final shows. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so to me, it was like a local rock star because I'm still a kid and I definitely hadn't been to, that was like one of my first like dirty club shows. Yeah. So John shows up with his little gorilla amp. You know, like a little practice amp, and it's almost impossible to put together a song because I don't know what I'm doing. And he's just like, dude, just play these three chords like this. Yeah. And it was like, you know, the Ramones pattern. And we just kind of jammed the Ramones song, you know, much to Eric's dismay because, you know, Eric didn't want to play pop punk, you know, like, <laughs> and, and John's like, there you go. Like, you're playing punk. Yeah. You know? For whatever reason, it never got off the ground, but. You know, riding back and forth to school with Eric, who had this, you know, any spare money he had, he he spent on music. Mm -hmm. And um, if it was something that wasn't that he's had that wasn't quite, you know, in his wheelhouse that he'd hand it down to me. And so it's like, you know, I got the vandals from him and uh, he noticed that I was kind of started listening to ska and trying to figure out what ska was like the third wave hadn't happened yet. Mm -hmm. And he's like, have you heard? you know operation ivy no like what is this and he he put it on and that that album energy is recorded so badly that the treble will just make your ears bleed you know (laughs) but we'd and his cavalier just blast it on the way to school and it was just uh i think (laughs) that aggressiveness like Mm -hmm. it's like man this is this is it like i want to do this and then the i have who has thing 
came from when I did find, I got a car Mm -hmm. and then I was able to pick Josh up or meet Josh for practice. I never wanted to sing. I wanted to be a guitarist. I thought guitarists were cool. Mm -hmm. I just wasn't getting it, man. You know, my whole life I've seen people around me start playing guitar years later than me and Mm -hmm. then end up like outshining me. I just, (laughs) yeah, I just, it happened over and over again, man. It's just, uh, I am I am a very solid rhythm guitarist. Same here. <laughs> I can write a tune. Yep. I'm just not that great of a guitarist, but I wanted to be. Mm. And so when I first stepped in to rehearsal, we were working on um, a Dinosaur Junior song, and because um, that was that was what we were listening to a lot was, mm. um, you know, whatever we read in a Guitar World interview that like. Nirvana and the Smashing Pumpkins were listening to. Yeah, yeah. It's we, like okay, yeah. I have to go see what that is. That's, that's how a lot of people got into yeah, the, the stuff. Like, we got yeah. like the more underground stuff. Is you listen yeah. to what the people that were that made it yeah. told you who they they listened to it. It's like oh, that's that's the real stuff. Right yeah, there. I was like, I definitely like. Oh, now I need to know who the Vaselines are. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's how we found a lot of that. And it ended up Josh had me sing. He was like. Well, the guitar part's kind of hard to play and sing at the same time. Can you sing this part? Mm-hmm. And I sang on that song, and then he was like, "Well, shit, you're you're our singer now." Yeah. And uh, I was like, "Really? Like I can sing? I mean, we didn't know we had a bunch of PV bandits strung together for mm-hmm. a PA, you know?" And he's like, "Well, I mean, I think you're the only person in the band that can sing, so you're gonna sing." So I started singing. Yeah. Um, and now, where did that that name I have who has I guess it's sort of like I have who has. Yeah. So um, what's really funny, man, like our original names ended up being other bands later. Like okay. they weren't bands at the time, but yeah. we were Fuse at one time, okay. which would they were a band. And then we were Mud Puddle at one time, which, mm-hmm. you know, that horrible puddle, puddle mud band, but we, yeah. were, we were Mud Puddle. <laughs> yeah. And then there were variations of that. And then um, we were the Milk Carton Kids for a little while until I picked up a copy of Maximum Rock and Roll and found out there was another band because yeah. it's a really good name. <laughs> so uh, I Have Who Has was from school, man. It was like a flashcard game in math. Mm-hmm. And the game was called I Have Who Has. Yeah. So it's like I have this, who has the answer. Like I have the equation, yeah, who has okay. the answer. So we we wrote it out as that, as mm-hmm. I Have Who Has. And like... Nah, that's dumb. So, like, we we turned the half to half. Yeah. And then we would put accent marks over it. So, it looked like it was a German word. And it made no sense. Yeah. We're like, <laughs> and so, it was nonsensical. Yeah. Nowadays, looking back at it, it's like it's a name that no one would remember. And it's like, man, that's that, that, all, that breaks all the rules <laughs> of, you know, naming your band. You want yeah. something that people will remember. Until this day, people don't remember the spelling even if they remember i have who has yeah. or something of that and i've actually seen it on the internet spelled out as mm-hmm. i the word have yeah. who has but yeah it was from a math game and we had been through a lot of names before that we landed on that we never played a show without that name so yeah. by the time we played our first milestone show now they had played a show at school okay. without me and I think they did some like Weezer covers yeah. or something like that. Like talent show or just uh, sort yeah, of. Yeah, it was like a talent show. It was like an end of the year thing. Yeah. They like, you know, got up and 
front of their class and, and played a couple songs. And like I said, they were a year behind me. So, you know, I wasn't involved with that. But I think that they had the energy of like, all right, we've done a show, yeah, you yeah. know. Um, luckily, thanks to Eric and Alan, I had the, the milestone was on my radar. Mm-hmm. And um, I started reading Maximum Rock and Roll and Book Your Own Fucking Life because you could get those, you know, in the newsstand at the record store. Yeah. And I started wrapping my head around like, how do you how do you do this? Like, how do you become a band? And we recorded a, a demo, really, really bad one on cassette, mm-hmm. which is just a live recording in the rehearsal space. And we only did a couple of takes of like moving some little mics around to try and figure out where the best place in the room is. I mean, there's nothing yeah, yeah. you can do to make it sound good. We found the best spot, got the the demo together, and then um, I called on the you know the landline and talked to Bill Flowers about mm-hmm. doing a show. And back then you had to do the Ripple shows. Yeah, the Ripple shows. Where you had to sell your own tickets. Yeah. And it's like you have to sell 50 tickets, like $55 tickets. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm in high school, man. You know? So we ended up buying most of our own tickets. And yeah. we did sell a lot of them to people at our school that didn't come. Yeah. Like, you know, they are just helping out. We bought our own tickets and we played the Ripple show. And uh, I can't remember which come first, but uh, we were playing with the flu were they the slugs before the flu or the flu before the slugs i think the flu came before the slugs yeah so it was the flu i think was on that show um they were the standout you know of course we played with four or five other bands Mm -hmm. and i think most of those bands i never heard of before but of course like uh the flu were headliners Mm -hmm. and we immediately you know thought thought they were rock stars too you know like they were doing what we wanted to do and then from there on, that was like all she wrote. Like once yeah. we figured out how to get a show, and then once you get one show, and they know that you bring people out, then we started getting opening shows at Tremont, and then house parties, and then back then you could play like tabloids, and yeah. there were like all these uh, the DAC, those pterodactyl was still around. Those like all these a lot. It seemed like there was a lot more venues back then. Than yeah, there are now. I think about it. There there were a lot, but some of them kind of came and went. I mean, like. They would, some of them would fold and the other ones would open up. And there's a decent number of places to play now, too. Um, there could be more, but I still feel like we're pretty lucky. There's uh, yeah. not a lot of variety in size. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely feel blessed to, to have what we have, yeah, at yeah. least. Um, there's definitely um, areas that have le- less of a scene and less options than we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, uh, while that was all happening, you know, a big part of the, that, you know, music – was huge and then you know skateboarding mm-hmm. and then uh you know for me it was graffiti and you like you kind of start off like there was a, which i really think it's strange that you remember that i was casper at one time yeah, but yeah. but that was like my first graffiti name okay yeah um and that's why that was and there was only really three or four that took it seriously but we had a little bit of a crew i mean we all painted I think I was the only one that was really passionate about it. Yeah. Uh, Josh used to go out with us and he was more about just like fucking things up. You oh, know, <laughs> I would like, I'd work for an hour on something and turn around and he'd be smoking a cigarette and it was just say like fuck cops or something on the wall. You know, it's <laughs> like, but you know, it I honestly think that like, because we wanted to be a good band and we were always practicing. Mm-hmm. And if we weren't practicing, we were riding skateboards. Like we weren't really like, you know, getting trashed all the time. I mean, we did, we partied, yeah. but I really, it, it prevented us from, from getting as trashed as the people around us a lot. Yeah. Know? That's what, like when I started and we started in high school, like that was what we did. We were, we were, we were kind of, we were nerds. We just 
basically hung out, did D&D and stuff like that. But when we started playing in a band, that's what we did. Everybody else in high school, they'd go to parties on Friday nights. But we were getting together and playing music and just, you know, doing things yeah. like that. That's, that's what kept us out of trouble. And it's crazy. It's just kind of like that whole, the, like, punks are always the bad guys in the movies. Back mm-hmm. then it was just like you were treated as a delinquent if you're like, you know, listen to punk rock and skateboarding. But honestly, that's what kept us straight, man. Yeah. You know, I mean, of course we were drinking beer underage and getting into trouble, you know, and smoking dirt weed, but you know, <laughs> like not if we had to practice yeah. and we practiced all the time because like we loved it. And, uh, those dudes were like family. Like we became family, mm. you know, like we were inseparable. Um, and then, you know, I, has, was like a, like a five or six year stint. Yeah, pretty, yeah, that was pretty good run. It's pretty good time back then. I know, you know, Ryan started running the milestone, and then it was like pretty much every weekend there was a there was always a good show. There was yeah. a reason to be at the milestone every weekend, really. And and it really felt like um, we were surrounded by like our heroes too. Like mm-hmm. you know, our scene. Like we really looked up to everyone around us. You know, like having Chris Piegler as part of the scene was was huge. Yeah, he he was like. A, you know, like your big brother, like mm-hmm. so he was everybody's big brother. Yeah. And then, you know, having John kind of teaching me how to do punk rock, mm-hmm. you know, then seeing him in like 17 dead and enemy, mm-hmm. you know, and then Alan who yep. like, who was, you know, he doesn't know it. He didn't directly mentor me, but I looked up to him, yeah, you know, yeah. um, you know, seeing them in that band. And then even Robert, when Robert was playing with him, Robert is my peer, mm-hmm. but Robert always felt, older because he was a different caliber musician he was yeah. a really good drummer oh, yeah, even yeah. back then and so rob and he always was in a band with older guys mm-hmm. because he's a great musician robert always felt older mm-hmm. to me right robert was always super cool and then and then the accidents mm-hmm. and like the accidents really stood out to me because it that the lookout sound it, it sounded to me yeah, i was yeah. hearing screeching weasel oh that's yeah, that was one of our huge, biggest influences yeah. especially our guitar player or the singer yeah. guitar player and, saunders he, he he wrote most of the songs, and that's that's where the sound came from. Yeah, it, it and he and he also kind of had that that gee from Fugazi look mm-hmm. too. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> I always um, thought that myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He 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 looked like gee, and he played the uh, the Vox guitar mm-hmm. that was like kind of had this awkwardness to it, and then like that cassette you know they had with with the car accident on the front just burned it up in my car, and like it had that screeching weasel sound, and it was so cool because our scene was all building up at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we have our own screeching weasel, like the stuff we wanted to see. Like I, I can't go, you know, yeah. like to Chicago and, and, you know, you hear them, but I, you know, here we have our own. And then you cut, you had like the beer punk band. You had mm-hmm. your kind of Murphy's law type 17 dead enemy yep. dudes. Um, and you had the flu doing their post punk, Thing, yeah. whatever you want to call what they and were doing then, you know and then like later like pin 15 would pop up and they're doing like british pub punk mm-hmm. yep. you know um yeah it was cool like that the the scene was developing like that um yeah it was a good time it was a really good time yeah yeah i remember packed shows at milestone like mosh pits that were mm-hmm. done the proper way counterclockwise in the yeah, circle yeah, yeah, and you yeah. pick people yeah. up yeah. <laughs> not with elbows and <laughs> yeah not throwing elbows and fist and you pick you, you pick people up tuck your head so you don't get your face bashed yeah. yeah there's rules man <laughs> so yeah i mean that that pretty much brings us up to like kind of how we met in the scene yeah, yeah. and where i was how i got to that point so after i have who has well one other thing i kind of want to ask about 
because we haven't really talked about this, I don't think, much on any of the podcasts. Um, the AGP. Who has was kind of a part of that, right? I mean, yeah. the accents were never really a part of that, but we were there for what you guys were doing. Like, we, we loved it. Oh, yeah. You guys had oh, that yeah, thing. We, going we totally on. Was, supported you. I think there was a little bit, like, just a, a small age gap, but big enough that we didn't party mm-hmm. with you guys because it would have been a little right. bit weird. <laughs> and um, and we supported all your shows. Like, yeah. you, you guys were AGB. Like, that's what we're into. Like, yeah, we're yeah. at every enemy show, we're at every accident show. Like, you know. I always whatever, thought it was just really whatever, cool to have that that little like brotherhood going on in the scene. Yeah, it was great. Um, it, it's kind of weird that whenever you're dealing with young people, like there's like ego and shit involved, mm-hmm. and, it, and and that would like later bother me about the punk scene. But for a while, in that sweet spot, you know, like what people didn't understand about the AGP, right? So AGP was a joke in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was Andre the Giant's posse. Yeah. Um, and it was. Simply because uh, Hope Nichols used to own Superior Feet, mm. right? And Superior Feet was one of the only places in town where you could go get spikes for your leather jacket yeah. or you could get bondage gear. Like, you could get a studded belt. And they would have a binder with stickers in it. Um, and one of the the very first Shepherd Fairy stickers, yeah, yeah, the Andre, Andre the Giant, Giant has a posse. On, Andre the Giant has a posse. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we were into vintage wrestling. We didn't know who Shepherd was. Mm-hmm. You know, I would later learn out and we would crawl, like learn who he was and cross paths. And his influence artistically would mean a lot to me, which is ironic because at the time we didn't know who Shep was. It's yeah. like we just saw the sticker. It was funny. Mm-hmm. It's very well laid out. It's iconic, mm-hmm. you know. And we all had that sticker, and so we're just Andre the Giant's posse. Yeah, yeah. And really, anyone that kicked it with, with us was there was yeah, like yeah. no criteria, there were no rules, there yeah, were no yeah. game. <laughs> but as it got bigger, like there was the, like weird, like you, we were a gang, and there was some initiation, and that <laughs> you know, like we had some sort of political affiliation or something like that. So I was like, no man, like. A bunch of kids that go to punk rock shows. Yeah. You know, and it was just something else to put on your jacket or scribble on your shirt or whatever. I never took it really seriously. Yeah. Um, I kind of, you know, got that impression. It was just always just a, yeah. for fun. It well, was, and it, it was. If, if I had to say there was, and I know a lot of people associated that with I have who has, mm-hmm. I would, it was more or less the boys and Johnny Turk and Commodes. Yeah, the yeah that was yeah. their thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, Ryan Sullivan from Pen 15 was Peanuts' mm-hmm. older brother. Yeah. And so it was that squad. Yeah. And, and to them, we were the Belmont boys. So we mm-hmm. lived across the river. Yeah. You know? <laughs> And those, t- those dudes lived in the suburbs in, like, really nice houses, yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> and we were in, like, mobile homes and mill houses out here. But, um, yeah. Uh, so, AGB was fun. It, it it wasn't meant to be anything serious. Yeah, it, yeah. it did get a little weird there. Had, had, had an anthem and everything else, too. I mean, there was songs written about yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, there was songs written about it. It was, like, it was in some of our lyrics, you know. Yeah, they were just... Like, Pinwood 5 has a song about it. Yeah, there's just, like, our... 
it, it, it's it's the I guess best way to explain it is like a soccer firm. Yeah, you know, <laughs> we're just a, a group of hooligan fans mm-hmm. of of music, and you know what I liked about that scene too is like we weren't just at the punk shows. You know, yeah. it was like the metal shows. Anything that came through, like we supported the scene, we supported oh, each yeah, other. Yeah, that, that's what I, I, I talk about that too. Like that, those milestone days, it still happens now where you get those mixed genre shows. But back in the milestone, it was like we'd play shows with bands like deviant or yeah. you know the, it was, with metal bands and punk bands mixed up a lot and we all supported yeah. each other yeah i mean like i mean like the 17 dead boys played with like acid bath mm-hmm. and like we played shows with betrayer you yeah. know it's like yeah and uh and everybody got along and 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 having a tight scene like that also was great because it it almost guaranteed a crowd mm-hmm. like you were never not playing in front of someone yeah, yeah. you every, know every, every weekend it was yeah like ryan said one time we pretty much sold out the milestone every weekend you know? yep yeah it was great man it was a, it was a it was a great time to be making music um yeah and and it would set me up like a lot of life lessons that i learned um you know we didn't realize that <laughs> eventually someone would call us out on it and it was like you guys play too fucking long like <laughs> oh you put, everybody's been through that <laughs> to, like you play every song you know and you practice every day of the week so yeah. you know a million songs and they're all two minutes long like no one wants no one wants to do that you know we didn't know like everybody we just, has to learn that the hard we way just when you get fun. on stage you're having fun and you just want to do it for as long as you can because yeah. when's the next time you're going to get to do it well i might have a show book next month but who knows if we're going to make it that far you so know, let's have fun while we're here. One of the biggest th- things that that ended up disappointing me about that, though, was when things did go a little south. Because for the most part, it was a great scene. Mm-hmm. But you know, w- if we if we were ever a good band, what made us a good band is we weren't trying to do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we, it was this just honest mashup of what we were all into as individuals, and it came out. And, you know, the punk that we played mm-hmm. and, um, y- you know, we would get, you know, we'd, we'd get a lot of shit from like some of the older acts, you know, like people would get upset that there would be a lot of kids at our shows, mm-hmm. but, you know, but, you know, when you get older, you understand that it's like, it's because like there wasn't a lot for young people to do when yeah, you're young, yeah. you have a million friends. They're not your real friends. You know, it's just, you go to school with them or, you know, them and it's mm-hmm. like, you know, you have things in common young people come to shows yeah yeah. you know um and so sometimes it was like a lot of animosity towards us and it's like man we weren't really trying to to do anything other than just play music you know Uh, and we had songs written about us that were like you know diss tracks and stuff and it's but you know it it, it's part of it Mm. it would kind of turn me off to the scene for a little while you know like by the time that i who else was broken up but then I'd kind of figure it out and come back around. Yeah, but, yeah. you know. So when I have wheels broke up, what did you what did you do then? Did you because you, you moved to Wilmington, but did you do anything else here before you moved? No, um, I. So when we broke up, it was like devastating to me. Like you had to understand that, like from twelve years old, you know, I was in this this group of dudes. Yeah. Um, and you know, our, our drummers would come and go. We got pretty tight with Brian for a little while, but there at the end, Brian wasn't in the band, but. Me and Ryan Henry and Josh Featherston were like thick as thieves, you know. Um, I was never alone. I never had to be alone, you know. They were always with me. We, yeah. we did everything together. Um, and, you know, their musical taste started changing. You know, Josh is a really good guitarist. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to just play punk rock, yeah, you yeah. know, and I don't blame him. 
and he was, you know, starting to play with other bands, you know, and it was, you know, what he needed to do to like, you know, feel that need. And then, um, I felt like Ryan's taste was going a little bit heavier. Mm-hmm. And then like I have who has was almost turning like new metalish, and it's just not, not what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'd, this is the end of high school. I'm like starting my first year of college. I'm like flunking my first year of art school, mm-hmm. you know, and the band's not playing as much. The scene's tapering off a little bit, yeah, yeah. you know, so I just kind of, kind of got the blues, man. I was like, like, it's not, it's not what it used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have this camaraderie and all this, you know, that, that AGP, you know, love that every show was sold out at the milestone thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of forgot that, like, I was only playing, I was playing music to be part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, it had become like I'm playing music to make it or to do it, you know? And so I quit. Like, um, I I think they knew that I was checked out because I showed up to our rehearsal space. That was another thing, too, you know, like, I was getting a little upset about, like, all right, we're older now and we have bills to pay mm-hmm. and you guys aren't paying band rent and i'm paying it out of pocket again yeah yeah you know and our drummer's pawning his snare drum so he can buy a bag of weed instead of you know instead of showing up for practice mm-hmm. you know just just that was just weighing on me and i showed up to practice and they had another singer in like singing and you know i i was like look you guys aren't paying rent and now you got somebody else singing in my place like get out like <laughs> yeah, get yeah. the hell out and i literally like Got in a fist fight with Ryan, who's like one of my best friends, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, I'm not ashamed to say it, man. I like, I sat in my car and like cried, not like cried, like weeped, mm-hmm. like, you know, cause I mean, they were my best friends. And then I was like, man, this is all I've known for years. I mean, it was like punk rock and skateboarding in that band. Yeah, yeah. You know, life, mm-hmm. life at home was shitty. Like, um, I wasn't doing great in college, you know, I didn't know what to do. So I ended up, taking a construction job i kind of lied my way into i mean my whole family was blue collar so mm-hmm. i'd like help my stepdad like flip mill houses so during the summer i'd still swing a hammer and i learned a little bit of everything yeah but uh ironically they were adding on to the walmart in franklin square it didn't used to be a super walmart mm-hmm. and that was the project i went on and i told them that not i was that i was a carpenter's helper but that i was a carpenter okay i just lied mm-hmm. And uh, luckily, on industrial sites, the carpenters, were you're pretty much just building concrete forms, mm-hmm. just building boxes. So, like, you kind of watch the guy beside you, and, you know, he's probably really hungover anyway, yeah. you know? So, it's like, <laughs> I excelled at it yeah. by just watching the oh. guy. So, I made really good money. I was still living with my parents. I was, like, slipping my mom some rent, you know, just putting money in the bank. Um And I'd saved up money for, you know, half a year, and then I was like, you know what, I'm going to... I'm going to go live at the coast. Mm-hmm. Um, made some bad decisions, but like was dating the super, super awesome chick at the time. Um, that like the, the type that you'd be, you know, set for life, mm-hmm. you know, she was gorgeous. She was smart. She like kept me sober, mm-hmm. you know, like she just wasn't rock and roll enough for me. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, she wasn't a loose cannon. Like she was going the state, like, you know, she had a big future ahead of her. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I just wanted to drink and smoke weed, yeah. you know? And I, uh, I moved to the beach cause I thought it was going to be a party and I moved to Myrtle beach first. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, we had done some shows down there 
And there was this little place like Slacker 77 and then the Candlelight and the Social. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were like a couple little spots and there was a small punk rock scene. Well, the only time I'd ever been to Myrtle Beach was during the summer. And we went down there and just raged. It was like it was a party. So I was like, man, there's these venues down here and there's all these people. But all those people aren't there during the winter. Mm -hmm. Even the local bands aren't playing shows during the winter because no one's coming out. Like there was no scene. Um, I thought that there was going to be a scene or a culture there. I went down. I had two mall jobs. You know, um, I was working at KB Toys and um, Journeys. Mm-hmm. And I'd take off, like, the red polo shirt and put on the black polo shirt <laughs> and, yeah. like, walk down to the <laughs> other end of the mall. But I rode my skateboard to work every day. And um, I surfed every day that there, was, that there was surf. That was something I always wanted to do. I didn't learn how to surf until I was, like, 19 mm-hmm. when I moved away. And that's when this was all happening, like, 19, about to turn 20. Um, two seasons in Myrtle Beach was terrible. Mm-hmm. So anytime we wanted to go do anything, we would go an hour up the road to Wilmington. And Wilmington was having a, a like a thriving music scene yeah, at yeah. the time. And uh, all of Front Street were just these great venues. And any night of the week, like on Wednesday, that was a great show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a couple of like good bands there that were like doing it. And those bands... uh are still doing it like the members of those bands yeah, are still yeah. doing it like those guys would you know go on to be um like he is legend and asg and the thunderlip boys like okay, all those yeah, guys yeah. that i met you know the cats from the illboy boys would, would be the needles and mm-hmm. you know um so i would go to shows in wilmington because they actually had a scene there and um i tried to make it there i was still a carpenter wasn't playing music. I had a little bit of gear. Mm-hmm. I would jam with somebody here and there. Yeah. Um, I was just kind of letting it soak in, man. Like what I wanted to do was still kind of a little hurt that like the, the punk rock dream wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, you know, yeah. I had my bubble busted <laughs> hard. It popped, but um, I had to evacuate for well, I didn't have to. I chose to evacuate. Um, about that time is that one season where we had like five hurricanes Mm -hmm. um, and the ones that like did damage all the way up into Raleigh all that flooding and everything so I come home and uh, I couldn't get back on the peninsula I can't get back into Wilmington um, so I couldn't really afford my apartment you know I was going to go back in debt so I was like well I'll just temporarily move back to Charlotte Yeah, I was still floundering around I think I got a job at media play because that's what you do Mm -hmm. you know um, cause I just wanted to be around records. I spent most of my money on CDs and yeah, records, yeah. you know, um, my relationships with, with, with some of those cats, like I was trying to mend them, but they were kind of like on the rocks, mm-hmm. you know, I was still really hurt, you know, like, um, I mean, I always considered Josh my best friend yeah. and, you know, he had to go his own way, but I was, I was hurt by it. Um, I, Went to go visit Josh, who was playing at the rehearsal spaces in Mount Holly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he was playing in a band, and I heard a band in the basement playing. And that was Johnny in a band with um, Alan White again. Okay. And they had a couple of different names. I think that was Section A. Uh, I went I went down and popped in, and john's like are you back in town i'm like well i mean i don't want to be but i'm here for now and he's like well we we need a singer um do you want to try out and um i tried out Mm -hmm. and then uh i think 
at that time, like, Alan didn't really want to be in that band. Yeah. He was just kind of helping John out. Yeah, yeah. Alan kind of got out of all of it yeah. all of several years ago. So I think he was just kind of doing it for John. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll play and sing. And so when I stepped in, Alan stopped playing. And then uh, that was the band that would become the Vivians. Okay. That was a cool time because, you know, Ryan Henry was living around the corner. Robert Childers was his roommate. And those were like the Sepentor days. Um, there was like a lot of those bands still rehearsing there. Yeah. So there was like a little bit of revival um, in those days. Mm-hmm. So, but that was the end of I Have Who Has and, and the seeds that will become the Vivians. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And so the Vivians were banned here in Charlotte or did y'all... They started here. Yeah, we, so we, you, we we moved to Wilmington. I thought you'd sp- it spent you spent some time in Wilmington. Yeah, in the band in the Vivians. yeah. Uh, Section A, we changed our name to the Vivians. We couldn't get a solid lineup. That same thing with me. I mean, we go through it with musicians. Yeah, yeah. Like someone's not showing up for rehearsal, mm-hmm. or someone's not taking it as seriously as you it's are. It's hard to find that that magic formula of people yeah. that actually work. <laughs> and uh, John and I are like, you know, we've got dead end jobs. We're like working at a steakhouse. Uh, the same steakhouse, John's washing dishes, and I was the bread cook. Mm-hmm. Used to make the big fat yeast rolls at the yeah. Quincy's, <laughs> like, which actually ended up being a sweet gig for me because like I was the only bread cook. Yeah. So if I made enough racks and got them in the freezer, I could take however many days off until they ran out of <laughs> out of rolls, and then yeah. you go back in and you make rolls. But um, you know, I wasn't happy at the time. I was floundering and trying to figure out what was going on. So mm-hmm. I was like drinking too much, and there were like way too many drugs that went through the household on yeah. um, the couches that we were crashing on Ryan Henry's couches. So John and I were like staying in a dining room on opposing couches that looked yeah. at each other, you know, just really not the best situation. And, uh, we we're like, look, man, uh, let's move to the beach and, and start this band up there. Mm-hmm. We need to get away from the same dudes that we've been hanging out with. We need to, sober up clean up Mm -hmm. write the songs that we want to write with real musicians and we told our band like we're going on this tour and we're getting a rental truck to go on tour Mm -hmm. and we're ending in wilmington and we're not coming back okay and the rest of our bandmates bailed on us so john and i went on that tour yeah and borrowed the opening acts drummer every night and we did covers. We okay. were like, just play four four and we're like, we're doing, you know, the crowd by Operation Ivy, 
or we're doing Supermarket Fantasy by Screeching Weasel, mm. or we're doing a Ramon song. Like, we weren't even playing original songs. Yeah. And the few original songs we did were like, just play Blitzkrieg Bop. Yeah. <laughs> you play Blitzkrieg Bop, and we're going to play an original song. And we did it. Like, we, uh, no furniture or anything. Mm-hmm. Just our equipment. Got down to Wilmington, played a teen club that was the lighthouse. It would later become Lucky's, but it was like, it looked like Spencer's in there, man. It was okay. like Christmas lights <laughs> yeah. and glow in the dark shit. But I mean, that it was an all ages venue. Mm, yeah. So good shows. Um, but it's, it's pretty funny because that, like, on that tour, the night that we played, uh, the bass player in one of those bands, Mike, would be in the human soundtrack later. He'd be like a, a, a lifelong friend of mine from mm-hmm. that, from, from that point on. And then, uh, Skyler from He's Legends band was was playing yeah. um and what the guy that would become my bass player well like stronghold played that night um so we ended up playing with uh people that would end up becoming our, our new scene and our friends mm-hmm. so john and i lived at my with my girlfriend who was probably too young for me and her mom john and i like lived there mm-hmm. until we could get an apartment we secured jobs we got an apartment and we literally answered uh, like a one ad in CD Alley downtown, you know, the like little pull the number off yeah, thing. Yeah. And it was a drummer, guitarist duo, best friends. Um, we caught him up and like we met at the Barbary Coast. Mm-hmm. We played some pool, had some beers, immediately went down to the band room. They showed us some songs that they were working on and it was like mid tempo y. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to compare it to. It, it, it was bland alternative. Mm-hmm. I think they were playing something that I would probably relate to like the Goo Goo Dolls or okay, something yeah, or, or something yeah. like that. And John and I are like, eh, well, this is what we're playing. Mm-hmm. And we ran through like two Vivian songs and they're like, well, that's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And we're like, yeah. yeah. And then like, we want to do that. And I'm like, cool. Well, then we're called the Vivians and I write the songs. Yeah. And then that's the way it was. Yeah. And that was uh, Ben and uh, Chris, Chris Parker. And Vivian, that that version of the Vivians had a long run. John and I at the same time at that time were still really hungry. Like mm-hmm. we wanted to do it. Yeah. Like we wanted to play as much shows as we could. We wanted to record. We wanted to be in the van. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually, while you know Ben and Chris helped us make some really good songs and make really good connections, what it came down to was they didn't want to do shows. They didn't want to play out of town. It felt like going to rehearsal was like the clubhouse it was a way for them to get away from their girlfriend and their wife you know like yeah let's just go drink beer and it's Mm -hmm. like john and i are like no like we need to be booking shows we We want to do it yeah Yeah. i mean at at this point i'm like 20 21 Mm -hmm. like just full of fire i'm like dude let's go get this what ironically we we kicked it around with those guys a couple years and while i love those dudes we felt like we were being held back Mm -hmm. And uh, John and I jumped ship, and we fired them, and we replaced them with two, you know, local cats that knew each other really well that had been in bands forever, mm-hmm. Drew and uh, James Yop. And uh, immediately after that, we were we did a, a U.S. tour. Yeah. We got on uh, Warp Tour, did the Ernie Ball stage at Warp Tour, uh, did a sold out show opening up for Two Skinny Jays mm-hmm. um, up in Winston Salem. Like immediately, just putting more motivation in the band yeah, yeah. It, it just took off yeah so and then i think that was about the the height of 
the Vivians was that period was was like work tour. Yeah, yeah. Um, so playing. you were on the whole work tour? No, we we just got the Carolina States. Okay, because yeah. uh, there was some contest that Ernie Ball was putting on, um, and we had a manager, air quotes manager. It was just a college kid friend fan, yeah. but he actually got his shows. Yeah. And then, you know, we'd give him a couple bucks if he actually got us something that made us money. But he's like, uh, we, man, you know how Battle of the Bands are. Mm-hmm. Like, we wouldn't want to do Battle of the Bands. Yeah, like, yeah. we had done one with the Vivians, and it's, it's always rigged. It's always mm-hmm. a popularity show. No one likes it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Ernie Balls was doing, like, a, ba- a Battle of the Bands thing, but you weren't actually playing a show. Like, you were, like, sending your demos yeah, out yeah. and then getting votes on it. Mm-hmm. And then if you got the votes and you won for your region, then you got those shows. Yeah. And if you kept getting votes, you you kept going. Mm-hmm. So um, being the play one of, one of the best years, I mean, we played, the, like, the Bad Religion year, you know, mm-hmm. Bad Religion, Alkaline Trio. Yeah. The, the casualties were on the stage beside us. Our homies from AS. We're on the, the Volcom stage on the other side of us. We played after the eyeliners. Yeah. It was like That's a awesome. really good year. Um because yeah. you know, Warp Tour totally went downhill yeah, yeah. after after those years. But that was you know, that was my first first taste of, of playing in front of that many people. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh and then the fire because of that, the fire for a long time I I I, I use that as fuel. I'm mm-hmm. like, this is what I'm gonna do. The Vivians go on for a for a while? How long we did that been going um for? I think that was another, you know, six years, mm-hmm. something. It was like 2000 to, yeah, like 2000 to, to 2006 or okay. something. Yeah. And uh, again, you know, just like Josh was super talented in I Who Has Days. Mm-hmm. It was like almost like he was bored with what we were doing and he needed to, you know, he yeah. could just spread his wings, man. <laughs> like, that kind of was one of the reasons why who has fell apart. James Yop and the Vivians, the second string guitarist in the Vivians, mm-hmm. he would go on and to be in Thunderlip and Valiant Thor. Like, yeah, yeah. James is a hell of a guitarist. Mm-hmm. Like, and you know, we handpicked him because he was in this pop punk band, um, Colt 45. Okay. And they were a three piece and he was a good enough guitarist and singer to carry it. Mm-hmm. So, I was definitely like, well, that dude is definitely my lead guitarist and backup vocalist because mm-hmm. he can sing. Like, I like his voice. It's just raspy and dirty enough, but like, he can really carry a tune and he's a hell of a guitarist. Yeah, yeah. And that was the best version of the Vivians was him in the band, but he was learning how to play like crazy heavy metal riffs, man. Mm-hmm. Like, he was, he was a ripper yeah. and he would go on to be a ripper and he needed to, you know? So I, I feel like when, when James Yop left, the Vivians, that was, that was, that was the nail in the coffin. Yeah. It just kind of sucked the energy out, you know, because we we felt like that was the lineup, mm-hmm. even though that was the second lineup. I, I felt like that was that was the dream team. Oh yeah, and um, you know when he left, we kind of fell apart. Um, and then again, I was like, kind of heartbroken and, and and took a little time off. Yeah. And then, you know, I went and played indie rock and emo for a little while. And same problems, man. You know, mm-hmm. some guy's not coming to, to practice. Yeah. You know, someone's not taking it seriously. Uh, you know, someone's not chipping in on band rent or, you know, helping to pay for the, the van insurance or whatever it is. Yeah, you, know, you can kind of always find somebody to play with, but sometimes it's hard to find somebody that's like, 
serious about it. They, they, they just want to get together and do it for a hobby or whenever it's convenient. And until yeah. you can find those like-minded people, sometimes you just, I don't know. I've been lucky that me and Eric have always kind of played together. So we, yeah, the I, and, together and I've like noticed that. that. And you guys have that <laughs> vibe and you're, you know, you're the first ones there, mm-hmm. you know, like when I, when I go to your shows, it's like, you know, you're there to work, yeah, yeah. you know, That's, I imagine it's like that at rehearsal. Um, and you know, there's a lot of people that play to get out of the house and mm-hmm. that's fine if that's the intentions like if if you just want to play cover songs and you, and you don't want to go out there and make it work that's fine mm-hmm. but i, know plenty of I just, people that do, just i just don't want i just don't want to be in a band with you yeah you know because i um, i've always been in the mindset that if we're gonna have a band we're gonna play a show and we're gonna go record and you know we might not tour we might not be able to do something like that but it's gonna be a band it's gonna be not just yeah. a, a thing that we do when yeah, it's, <laughs> it, why be anticlimactic? You, you're going to write these songs and you're putting this time in it. Mm-hmm. At least have the show. Yeah. At least have the satisfaction to go out and perform that for people. You know, like be able to get like your personal needs fulfilled. To, like because where it comes a while, like we need to entertain. We're, mm-hmm. we, we're musicians. We're you need it. Like you know, I, I've definitely taken breaks where I didn't want it anymore. Mm-hmm. But like it's in our bones, man. It comes back around, yeah, and yeah. then you're like, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta do it. And I've just have been the type that. It's either do or don't. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, um, I've kind of come back around to where I'm okay with, like, I don't have to be doing 150 days. Yeah. yeah. A, a, you know, a year. Like, I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't want to just make music to make music. I had so much other things that I wanted to do that it, for the first time in my life, it, it, it took like a backseat. Yeah. 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 I had those backseat days too where just family, for me, it was family. Yeah. But there during that time, I just really didn't even think about it. It wasn't something I missed. But then all of a sudden, when I missed it, realized I missed it, it was it was like, oh, yeah, this is the thing that I needed to be doing all that that time anyway. Yeah. yeah um, and yeah, I'm a dad, too. So like my son's 12. And uh, when he was about one uh, at that time, I was in the dielectrics mm-hmm. and the dielectrics were really going for it. hit up to 150 days a year on the road like it went up into canada and did shows we were finally you know we were opening for like the doors and national pussy and you know like we were doing it um but it, it's that that thing you know like we were every member of that band was super important in that band mm-hmm. we we made that band for those band members yeah and you know we had all of a sudden we had big boy responsibilities, you know, like Brandon's like, I have to, you know, work in Raleigh on a job mm-hmm. so I can't rehearse as much as needed or I can't do these shows. So then we're getting a fill in bass player, which, you know, was fine, but it wasn't it wasn't our core member. Yeah, like it, it always, wasn't the reason yeah. why we were the dielectrics, you know, and that was a tough lesson, too. You know, like just like I have who has was it trying to be anything. Mm-hmm. You're just like. It was a mashup. Um, the dielectrics, we were between bands, and mm-hmm. Drew from the Vivians and I had met up at our favorite bar. He had left the Speed Kings. He had picked up guitar. He was my drummer in the Vivians. He had picked up guitar, 
we're sitting in a bar one night and I'm like, man, I just want to play rock and roll. And I had been playing indie rock. I was the weakest guitarist in the band. Mm-hmm. So I was playing keyboards and singing. It's probably some of the best songs that I ever was part of writing. Yeah. But there's just no energy in it. Yeah. And I loved, I loved listening to it, but it was just, it felt really stiff to perform. So was the indie rock band, was that a band that you performed, like played shows with or anything? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Death and Fame and Throw It to Lucas, those bands were like back to back and okay. kind of the same members. Um, it was a little bit Midwest emo and a little bit dancey. Like it was a lot mm-hmm. of like block party dance beats to it. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of twinkly guitars and me playing keyboards and launching samples mm-hmm. and stuff. And while I do really think that the songs that we wrote were impressive, we were taking a month to write a song. Mm-hmm. Like they, it needs to be impressive. Any other band that I'd ever been in, it was like you wrote the song in one session and you never changed it. Yeah. Like you went to the rehearsal space, you played the song. I, that's good. Yeah. And then you kept it, mm-hmm. you know, and you moved on. And I, I really liked writing fleeting like that Mm -hmm. you know and i think that's sometimes what makes a good song is it's really hard to capture that moment again like when you write a song like that you're capturing that moment that that band was some of the best musicians that i'd ever been in a band with and that's why i wasn't playing guitar in that band Mm -hmm. we tried one there's no need for three guitars ever and then i was the weakest link and i was definitely going to sing so you know i bought an expense sold some guitars bought an expensive keyboard we did some shows and and we were doing it like we were on the road and we got to to play with some of those bands adjacent to us that were coming up like we were playing with like red jumpsuit apparatus and stuff like that um you know all the swoopy hair bands Mm -hmm. you know white belts and girl jeans that type of thing and um that that band broke up I think just because we were young, you know, um, our our drummer would miss a show or miss a practice because he, he needed to play World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. He had a, like a raid that he had to attend, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Jeremy was like 21 and in college and, you know, like chasing girls and was like, didn't want to go to a show because it was going to be like a kegger for his for his buddy's birthday and he couldn't miss that. So mm-hmm. we had to cancel shows and stuff. So it's just like that kind of sucked the energy out of that too mm-hmm. um but those guys are hands down some of the most talented people i've ever played with yeah. but uh after that uh the speed kings broke up uh which they were just you know rock and roll band, like punk and roll band speed kings broke up so like uh drew was a free agent mm-hmm. i was a free agent we were just uh hanging out at lula's pub in wilmington and He's like, man, I, I really miss playing with you. Like, I don't care what it is. I just, I don't, I would just want to be in a band with you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I can feel that. Yeah, I, I, I could use that. And we're like, what are we going to do? And like, it's I'm just going to put like the Ramones and ACDC in a blender. Yeah. You know? And because uh, we, we definitely wanted to play fast and we wanted it to be punk, but more rock and roll mm-hmm. than punk. And um, yeah, for, and we wrote songs without a whole band just because we wanted to be in a band together. Yeah. We got the rehearsal space, started writing the songs and then it all fell into place. You know, a kid that drew went to high school with Brad Smith, who had, who had played in rockabilly bands. Mm. Um, and you know, was a punk fan. So he was, you know, good, solid in the pocket drummer for what we were doing. Yeah. And then, uh, Brandon was walking past our rehearsal space and he was listening to all the bad bass players that we were trying out. <laughs> and it, you know, that kid's always been in a million bands. He, he can, he can play guitar, bass and drums mm. all proficiently. Yeah, yeah. 
And uh, he popped his head in one day and he's like, when are you guys going to try me out? And we're like, dude, you're in like three bands. And he was like, but, you know, I want to be in your band. <laughs> and we're like, well, are you even playing bass anymore? He's like, it's my first instrument. Of course I'm playing bass. Yeah, yeah. And so, of course, he dropped a couple of those bands to be with us. And, you know, now we're older and we have real jobs mm-hmm. and we're taking it seriously. So, you know, just that little bit of effort, it's like we bought a van with band money, yeah. you know, and we were touring and, you know, we weren't making money. We were breaking even, mm-hmm. but we were still playing Stuff on the road and, and breaking yeah. even and, you know, getting to open up sort of some pretty big national acts, being able to afford our own recording mm-hmm. and, you know, put out merch and then we put out records and stuff and, you know, uh, get a publisher and, and, and start putting things on iTunes and getting mm-hmm. it out into the world. Um, but, you know, we were talking about the family thing. You know, yeah. I had a kid. We all had big boy jobs. It was getting harder and harder. I, I think originally I was just going to take a break. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it was also really hard on my marriage. Mm-hmm. Um and I was going to just take a break, and then it ended up being just like, we just weren't playing anymore. Yeah. Uh, we always kept a band room. Mm-hmm. You know, I had gear in that band room. Those bands dissolved into other bands. We're still amazing friends. Mm-hmm. Um, it just kind of stopped. Yeah. And then again, I'm dealing with like, I'm a new dad at that time. My band had broke up. Um, I was now going through a divorce Mm -hmm. and the same identity crisis I had at 19 Mm -hmm. when my band broke up and I had my head inflated that I'm this, this fucking rock star because of the AGP and sold out shows at the milestone, Mm -hmm. you know, when all that's taken away, you're like, man, who am I? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm a carpenter, you know, uh, not, not a very good one. I smoke too much wheat, you know, what am I going to do? Um, and then I, uh, all over again was kind of going through this identity crisis it's like well man now at this age am i going to try and make a run for it again am i like going to get back in the band room i need to get in the van i'm going to do this and it's like do i want to be away from my kid that much yeah, yeah. like do i even have it in me to write songs that anybody wants to hear like you know at that time it had all changed we weren't selling tangibles at all people weren't buying cds yeah we had a cd people didn't buy it it was all digital download mm-hmm. so then we started doing like thumb drives but we were having to like sell a thumb drive with like both eps and a full record just to get someone to want to buy it yeah. it's like you know you get all these extras with this thing so like the world had like kind of changed oh, yeah. like um live shows were kind of dropping off and because we were just playing who we were we weren't trying to do anything it was just like we're gonna play punk and roll it's very niche man mm-hmm. you know not everybody wants to wants to listen to that and we were playing a lot of uh we would play like heavy rebel weekender every year yeah. and we were playing with like a lot of like psychobilly bands like we were like doing road dates with the dudes and the coffin cats mm-hmm. which are psychobilly and we're, we weren't psychobilly yeah and that's also very niche mm-hmm. so it's like who's your crowd you know like unless we're playing with the helicopters or the hives or like yeah. turbo negro like you know that that was our demographic the turbo acs you know like without those bands and like i said you know like the doors come around you're gonna play with the doors national mm-hmm. pussy comes around you're gonna play with national pussy but like you know it, in a time where people weren't coming out to live shows like they used to yeah we we're trying to sell something that like already didn't have like a huge fan base so 
yeah, big, big identity crisis after that. It's like, uh, you know, kids don't come with instructions. My kid's like one or two years old. Again, I've kind of parted ways with some of my best friends, like yeah. family. I lived in a van with these dudes, you know, on the road. They're, they're brothers. Um, so, you know, it, I stopped again for a while, like sold off a bunch of gear, you know, um, didn't want to write songs, mm-hmm. didn't, uh, I don't know, maybe I felt like a dinosaur or I just didn't feel like I was in touch with the scene or I felt like, uh, even if I was playing from my heart, like who's going to hear it, mm-hmm. you know? So I stopped for a while. Yeah. yeah. Now, when did you sort of start doing art a lot more? Have, did you do art this whole, that whole time? I did art that whole time, but, um, never like super seriously. Yeah. So like, like he brought up the whole Casper thing. So like mm-hmm. uh, graffiti was huge for me, uh, you know, when I was younger, mm-hmm. but it, it's like anything you do, like when your friends aren't as into it as you are, you're going to do it less, yeah. you know? So, you know, none of my friends took it as seriously. I did. We used to go, I mean, for a while there, like, you know, peanut would, he would come out and paint with this. And one of the other kids in the AG, Pat would come out and paint. Uh, Sean Skidmore would come out and paint. Mm-hmm. He used to write uh Tigger. Uh, he'd, he'd come out and paint and, uh, you know, a couple of my friends, but you know, everyone lost interest. Mm-hmm. And um, also uh, when I started, it was like pre internet. I mean, the internet existed, but it was chat rooms. Yeah, yeah. Like, you couldn't really get the information you want at your fingertips like now. Like, I can figure anything out from yeah, my exactly. phone. Yeah. But so, we were using, like, 99-cent spray paint back then, like, Red Devil Enamel, mm-hmm. like, whatever you could get from Grandpa's Garage, the the cheapest paint from Walmart. Mm-hmm. And, and that stuff is terrible for graffiti. Um, you know, you can't layer over uh, colors very well, mm-hmm. enamel doesn't dry very quickly so um it's sloppy like it drips so like getting good with enamel was like hard and mm-hmm. i had got to the point where i was like actually doing stuff that looked good that i was okay with mm-hmm. you know that i didn't feel like look like a toddler did it um i didn't know about caps i didn't know about low pressure paints mm-hmm. i didn't know that you could change caps out to do different things I, I ran across a couple of like magazines, some graffiti publications okay. and realized that like you could, you know, mail order and get some caps from Germany. You could get German fat caps or there was like a boutique in New York where you could get, you know, what they called New York fat caps. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the graffiti world, there's like there's thins, mids and fats and they all do something different. Okay. You know, they do exactly what they yeah, yeah. what that they sound like. like. But, you know, there wasn't an industry making that you had to take them there were people that were harvesting them from the factory that made bug spray mm-hmm. because like the one bug spray cap that happened to fit Krylon, like had a wider spray okay. like yeah. so it wasn't designed for graffiti we were just figuring out like you can take this cap or you could take the the straw the needle caps from um wd-40 mm-hmm. for a completely different effect and so Back then, there wasn't really anyone that was making it. There were people actually calling the factories that were making the caps mm-hmm. for different products and buying them Just in buying bulk the caps, yeah. and then redistributing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so now there's a whole industry that provides for us, yeah. you know, like there's multiple companies that make graffiti caps just for graffiti and fine art. But, um, 
And also, you know, graffiti comes with risk. Like, you know, like you're going to get arrested yeah. at some point. And uh, so I had periods where I stopped for like a long time and then I'd pop up, pop back up and do it again. And, you know, we mentioned earlier about how we would do things that would later give us a skill set that we didn't realize, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, well, f- for me, like I'd never thought about stencils as a art form. Mm-hmm. Right? The first stencil I made was to use a screen printing like a cheapest easiest way to do like fake screen printing is to take a screen and lay a stencil in it Mm -hmm. and then you can do a short run of t-shirts and that was how i have who has made some t-shirts and i actually uh the school wasn't using them so i ended up swiping a bunch of screen printing supplies from my high school Mm -hmm. and that was the first stencil i ever cut but then you know i'm watching the clash videos and like the clash has got like the clash london stenciled on all the road cases Mm -hmm. so of course you know i have who has had to have you know i have who has stencils yeah. and so I'm, I'm hand cutting these stencils to go on all our gear and then i ended up like like i'm good at cutting stencils and never really thinking about not taking it seriously as an art form yeah and then um when i was kind of rusty at spray painting like a stencil was a really good way to do something really quick and crisp mm-hmm. and so that became my street art form and so when we were touring, there would always be like a stencil in the van and, you know, we're on the road and I would throw up a stencil here and there. And they were basic and silly. It was like stormtrooper helmets. Mm-hmm. I would do like a, a little black cat on one end of a building and a rat on the other end of a building, just stuff like that. And yeah. it was more or less just just to feed the need of to do something artistic. Mm-hmm. So um, I would always gravitate back to art between bands. Mm-hmm. So whenever I was on a hiatus, I was hard into art Mm -hmm. and the first couple of shows that i did were like community art shows Uh, wilmington used to do this uh art for the masses and um really great eclectic um it's kind of like the misfits market thing that you guys do like tom's 100 Mm -hmm. you know and that was the first time that i'd sold canvases and they were mostly stencil stencil work on canvas and they were the first first things that i sold and then I kind of built up that momentum, and once uh, the dielectrics weren't active, I like I went really hard in the paint, like, yeah. uh, and got a, a gallery show, like a legit gallery show at uh, the MC Ernie Gallery, which is the uh, NPR station in Wilmington okay. National Public Radio. Yeah. Um, that was my first real gallery show that wasn't like where i had something hanging at a coffee shop or i set up a table Mm -hmm. somewhere it was an an actual gallery show which is funny it was the first time i've ever been interviewed no that's not true bands had been interviewed on the radio before but that was the first time i've been interviewed about art yeah and uh that was a split show with my buddy brad who was um an abstract artist and it's a live take on npr mm-hmm. and so I, you know i call my mom and i'm like mom listen i'm gonna be on the radio they're talking about my gallery show and uh they they talk about talk to brad about his fine art degree you know where he went to school and the interpretation of of you know his abstract art and all that and then her first words when she comes to me is like so jason have you ever been arrested <laughs> And I'm like, oh, man, you know, like I made it. I'm doing these gallery shows. <laughs> it's like the first thing I'm asked. Like, well, yeah, actually, it, it kind of comes with the territory. Like, yeah. you know, you're going to write graffiti. It's going to happen one way or other. Um, yeah, so it's my first show. And then after that, it just kind of gave me the fuel to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. I wasn't painting murals. 
but I was definitely still developing my canvas style. Mm-hmm. Um, after my divorce, I committed a whole room of my house to a studio mm-hmm. and started like majorly producing canvas yeah. and pursuing art shows. I have an old, um, an old pickup truck that I like turned into a little pop up and would start doing art events. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, without me living at home with my wife, you know, I was painting trains again. Like I was like, well, I'm bored. I'm going to go paint trains. Yeah. And I started spray painting again. Um, stopped again for a little while. <laughs> uh, did some soul searching, had like a really strange job. I, I was a wilderness therapy guide. So for uh, about four years, oh, yeah, yeah. I was pretty much living in the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, ended up leading into my mural career because mm. in one of those programs that I worked for, it was a, a boys school or wilderness base where at um, a, a 1940s boy scout camp that had been converted to a private school. And so isolated top mm. of the mountain. But uh, we had a nutritionist, a chef that worked there who happened to be an old school punk rocker, Miss mm. uh, Co. Co. Chef Co. She was the shit. She was the coolest. But uh, I'd always done art. So even with me out there, like since we were isolated and you didn't have internet and like sometimes my students would be in class, I would just be doodling in my sketchbook. Mm -hmm. And I went through this phase to where my doodles were like kind of funny, ironic takes on uh, traditional tattoos, Mm -hmm. you know, simple stuff. And she loved that style. And then uh, we both left that that job, that program, and she opened her own taco place, um, Amako's Tacos. up in the Asheville area mm-hmm. and she called me up and she's like you know look I'll pay you I can't pay you a whole lot but you know I, I have a vision for a mural that I want to do like will you do it and other than like you know trains and walls like graffiti stuff I'd never really done a mural mm-hmm. so I designed this thing and it was like traditional tattoo flash and it was funny mm-hmm. you know it was like in guac we trust and salsa yeah. salsas thicker than blood and you know things like that in there um did this mural and made a little bit of money and I was kind of in between careers and I was like, man, this is is fucking fun. Mm -hmm. Like I want to do this. Like I'm, I've already been doing art, Mm -hmm. you know, my entire life. If I, if I'm not playing music, you know, if I can make money at this, maybe, maybe this is the hustle. Yeah. And, um, so that was the first one. And then, um, ended up getting a brewery in Charlotte Mm-hmm. And then it just kept building up momentum. But right before I got that first big Charlotte mural, you guys, and I was new back to Charlotte. Mm-hmm. I hadn't lived in Charlotte. I, I went from Wilmington to Asheville and then back, back to, to Charlotte. Charlotte. Yeah. And you guys actually played at my first Charlotte gallery show. Yeah, right? Heist Brewing. Yeah, Heist yeah, Brewing. Yeah. And it was awful. Not you guys. <laughs> but uh, nobody showed up. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. It was- yeah. And then uh, you guys got the raffle art because mm-hmm. no one else bought raffle tickets. Yeah. I really. It's still hanging up in the band room, too. Yeah, I really uh, appreciate you guys doing that for me, too. Like, it was a solid. Like, it was, you yeah, know, it, was, it was fun. Uh, we ended up, you know, they didn't give us the best night. I think we played it uh, on a Sunday. We did it on yeah, a Sunday, yeah. and it was a football night, yeah. which I didn't know because I, I, I wasn't keeping up with the, with the foosball at the time. But it was a bad night for it. Mm. But that show did hang for a while yeah. and I ended up selling three paintings later. Yeah. So it was very humbling to be at the time I was living over there in Noda. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be this professional artist. And it's like, I'm paying this crazy rent on mm-hmm. this tiny little apartment 
and no one showed up for my art show in the so-called art district. Yeah. Like, man, what am I doing? You know? And it's just like anything, man. You got to build up momentum. Yeah. Um, but it was humbling. I, I remember like it's, it's different, but whenever me and Eric started Van Huskins and our first show back, I was like, there'll probably be some people out at this. And of course it was a Tuesday night and there's hardly anybody that showed up and it was, it was really humbling. But I mean, you, you do that and it's like, okay, so I got to work my way back up to where we were before. Yeah. That's okay. I don't mind doing that. You know, I, I'm not one uh, to give advice because I've, I've learned most things by doing them wrong the mm-hmm. first time. Yeah. But I mean, anybody, whether it be like music or art, you know, don't, don't let those first handful of shows oh, yeah. like, yeah. you know, just, just keep working on your craft. And, you know, also I realized that I wasn't ready. Mm-hmm. There was a couple of pieces in there that did sell. And I was proud of those. It made sense, the ones that sold. I'm like, well, that makes sense. They're the best ones on the show. Yeah. But um, I realized that, like, just like a band, like, you know, I need to go back to the drawing board. I need mm-hmm. to become more refined. I need to change the way I look at this. I need to change the way I'm pursuing the work. And, um, you know, that's part of the reason why I'm out the Gastonia way. That's why we're, you know, why I have studio space out here, mm-hmm. a 12 by 12 room. And Charlotte is what I'm paying from my massive warehouse yeah, yeah, space yeah. here. And my whole thing was, you know what? I got to move out of this tiny, expensive apartment where I don't have room to work. Mm-hmm. And I need to create space for me to work, to explore this, to, you know, to get better. Because everything comes with sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I moved back out this way and and got the studio space. And, um, and another bit of advice, you know, at my age... Um, a lot of people were reluctant to like study underneath someone or take mm-hmm. on an apprenticeship or like, you know, learn from someone. You know, I, I had the opportunity to, to assist, uh, Osiris Rain, you know, a very successful local muralist and own and off for a couple of years, mm-hmm. you know, was making good money. Um, uh, and while he wasn't directly teaching me anything, I learned more doing oh, yeah. that. Yeah. Because, you know, he wants the job done. Mm-hmm. And I, that's also kind of how I work. Like, throw, like throw me, throw me to the wolves. I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And that's what he did, you know. And it had been like I come from construction, but it had been a little while since I've been in a lift. I got in the lift, and then you know, after you know half a day, it's it all came back to me. Mm-hmm. It had been a while since I'd spent any time uh, trying to do you know good line work with with a spray can. And then when you're doing full work days, eight hours, it's like. You're building up that muscle memory. It all mm-hmm. comes back. So, I mean, it's just like anything, man, you know, if you got to do it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of people, especially when they get older, like ego or pride gets in the way. And it's like, oh, I don't need lessons or I don't need you to show me how to do anything. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Like, you can always learn something. Yeah. And I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm definitely not where I want to be. And I mean, that's kind of part of the, the fun of it. I mean, even with music, as long as I've been playing, it's like. You know, I plateaued for a really long time and now I finally feel like I'm actually like making some progress. Mm-hmm. Like after like, 30 years, it's yeah. like, oh, well, like I kind of don't hate this song I just wrote. You know, yeah. it's like so. Um, but that's how the mural thing happened. And now you're doing that. That's that's pretty much what you do these days, right? Is, yeah, is that's it. That's I keep it. I keep a, like as uh, adulting. I mm-hmm. keep a, a part-time job in an antique mall yeah. that also allows me to be creative and use my skill set. But that's like if the bottom drops out, like if I don't have any walls and no one's buying any canvases, at mm-hmm. least I can pay the rent on my studio. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's actually been like really creative because 
that antique mall has um, a wedding venue under its roof and that there's a, a boutique there and it's a 150 year old cotton mill. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not like making some sort of decor for a wedding, I'm fixing something mm-hmm. on the 150 year old building that's yeah, falling yeah. down or like, um, so, you know, I've been able to use like my full spectrum of my skill set and there's enough for me to do there. Like, honestly, if I wasn't painting murals, I could be like, can you just give me a couple more days yeah, and yeah, just yeah. go to work? Um, but yeah, pretty much full-time painting murals yeah, yeah, and it's hard. It's like anything else creative you try to do, like being in a band or anything. It's like you'll hit your stride and then the money rolls in mm-hmm. and then you'll be poor for a while, Yeah, you know? And then uh, it, it it's crazy. It comes in waves, mm-hmm. you know, which well, is like when you're booking shows, you'll do some shows and nobody shows up and yeah. then for, you'll do like a string of like three or four back to back that mm-hmm. are just killer. Oh yeah. Good crowd. <laughs> It's the same thing with murals. Like I had a, a real dry spell this winter. I mean, I wasn't really going after it like I normally would, mm-hmm. but then I end up, you know, landing four walls for spring in one weekend. I yeah. go and take a meeting, and now I'm booked up until summer. Yeah, um, that's so, good. It's always good. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, another comparative thing with like making art professionally that goes back to the to the music world mm-hmm. is, you know, I've had to take a couple of corporate jobs that. It's not exactly what I would paint on my own mm-hmm. to like fill my heart. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're like, this is what we would like you to paint. And I have the skill to paint it. So I paint it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's good, solid money. And, you know, I think a few years ago, I would have been like, this is like being in a fucking cover band. I don't yeah. want <laughs> to do this. But now, that, yeah. but now it's like, man, I get to spray paint for a living. Yeah. And, if something goes wrong, there's someone that I can complain to, mm-hmm. you know, like, hey, this is messed up. Fix it. And then there's like snacks, like I showed the <laughs> job and there's like bottled water and like fruit snacks, yeah, you know, yeah. and the lift is there and it works, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it's kind of cush. And it's like I, they, just like playing music. You know, I used to be like, I, if I'm not doing it my way, I don't want to do it. Yeah. And I was getting kind of like that with art. And it's like, you know what? Like. I've always been kind of a mid-tier opening act. Mm -hmm. I don't mind being like a mid-tier opening act artist. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's got me this far. Yeah. You know, it's like if I can spray paint for a living, you know, it's crazy to see like some of my friends in the art world that are absolute rock stars Mm -hmm. that just just mind-blowing talent and and really wishing that I could be there. Yeah. At the same time, there's like not a day that goes by that I don't kind of count the blessings that like, dude, I spray paint for a living, (laughs) you know, like... You know, this goofy ass kid that used to write Casper, you mm-hmm. know, so which is a terrible graffiti name, by the way. But, so. <laughs> so was the Dialect your last band or have you played anything? They since were the, then? they were our, the last band and technically the Dielectrics never fully broke up. Yep, that's what I was going to give it to. Yeah, we did do a show uh, last December mm-hmm. and it was because the Coffin Cats, who we used to do road dates with. Yes didn't know that we were broken up yeah. and they requested they, they they all we always played with them when they came mm-hmm. to the south uh, we're coming through you guys want to play a show and uh you know drew was first point of, point of contact so he was like yeah we'll do it <laughs> and then he let us know after the fact yeah. that we were doing it and i was actually at art basil painting walls in miami and flew in from miami mm-hmm. for one night to to play reggie's in okay. in, in wilmington yeah. and then i turn around and flew back and, and and was painting walls again yeah, yeah. so um yeah so the, the dielectrics again family guys career guys 
uh, Brandon's still going really hard, you know, like, uh, he's playing in the good, good grief and they're, mm. they're, uh, they're really trying to make a go at yeah, it. Yeah. But, you know, Brandon's also an entrepreneur. He owns a drum shop. Uh, Drew, like, you know, runs, you know, a mechanic shop. Um, Brad's got a couple of kids. Mm. So, um, the dielectrics will definitely do shows. Yeah. Well, uh, the right shows. But yeah, the dielectrics are, um, I, I guess we're on hiatus. We're in limbo. Yeah, um, yeah. Any opportunity we have to play together, we will. I live here. They live there. But, you know, it'll happen. Yeah. I, I will say, um, so I've recently, I, I wrote a new batch of tunes. Mm-hmm. And um, I only came back around to music because of my kid. You know, uh, like I said, Jax is 12. And I, I took him to see one of his favorite bands. And, uh, and, and, and got to introduce him and let him meet the whole band. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I kind of mentioned earlier that whole, you just want to be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's easy to forget about that sometimes <laughs> when we're out, you know, complaining that like nobody showed up for the show yeah. and we're only going to make, you know, $10 tonight. And, um, you know, I saw it the like in his eyes, the whole like, he didn't want to be a rock star. Yeah. You know, <laughs> He wanted to be part of that. He mm-hmm. just wanted to do what they do. Mm-hmm. And immediately that night, on the way home from that concert, he's like, I need a drum kit. Yeah. And he had one when he was really little. It was like the little kid's drum yeah, kit. Yeah. Um, now that he's older, he's like, I need a drum kit. It's like, um, we're going to get you a drum kit. We'll get you a drum kit tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, And he wanted the music up really loud in the van on the way home. He's like, turn the music up. <laughs> um, and he's like, I want to do it. And then, you know, I had had kind of been playing, you know, guitar a little bit. Mm. And um, that that put the drive in me. I was like, man, what, I can do Why can't I just do this? Because I want to do it. Yeah. You know? And I really don't want to deal with, with musicians. Mm-hmm. Like, um, that was the great thing about the dielectrics. We were all hardworking day job dudes. So, like all the bills were paid there was no drama we got along there was a night shift and a day shift like you drink early in the day you know and like then you can drive later and then you know we'll drink later and sleep while you drive you know like uh this is how much it's going to cost to print shirts everybody cough it up it was always done Mm -hmm. you know like i wanted that level of dedication and and responsibility Mm -hmm. and that's really hard to find and so you know, when I started writing songs for this new project, I'm like, you know, I'm just going to buy a bass rig. I'm going to keep a drum kit and I'm going to write these songs and I'm going to give the record to my friends and be like, if you want to do a show, just learn these and then we'll go do a show. So, like, there's no solid band members at the moment. Yeah. But this, you know, last weekend I went down to Wilmington to do some bids on uh, some murals. Mm-hmm. Crashed with uh, my, you know, my former bandmate, Josh, who's was setting up his home studio he said let's just record these songs it'll help me get my room set up anyway the room mm-hmm. and the gear set up and um, i was super stoked that like when my friends found out that that's what i was doing they just started showing up yeah so like, okay let's do this let's cool. get it done yeah. like drew from the dielectrics came over and he's a very busy dude this uh this guy runs marathons now as a hobby it's in- insanity but uh yeah he you know came and gave up most of his saturday to do guitar tracks you know he's like he he wasn't asked to do it he's like i want to do this you know and that was also nice that there were people that actually wanted to hear yeah 
what I have to offer again. You know, when I, you know, I quit because I was like, is this even relevant? You know, if I were, and I don't know, to have my musician friends that mean a whole lot to me, you're like, yeah, we're, let's get this done, man. Like, let's, let, let's get it done. That's and, awesome. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's not going to be anything super special. And I write what I write. Yeah. Like, it's, it's always going to be some version of pop punk. Some people are going to hate it, mm-hmm. you know, but, you know, if, I can't play guitar any better, and I can't sing any better than I used to. So, if you liked what I did in the past, you're gonna love what I'm doing now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's one of those things. So, cool. Right. So, I feel like I've talked your ear off. Oh, no, it's been great. Uh, is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you want to talk about? I mean, we've sort of left it with you know, dielectrics on hiatus. Could still play some shows. Yeah, you might have some music coming out. Yes. Yeah solo project or whatever, yeah, so, whatever whatever you want to call that you yeah know? well so the, the solo project I'm, I'm using the name Bellbox mm-hmm. um, and it's yeah, uh, Harry Houdini was trying to disprove spiritualist at one time yeah, yeah. And one of the inventions that he made to disprove spiritualist was called the Bellbox mm-hmm. so it's called Bellbox um, right now it's like you know members of Death and Fame and Throw It to Lucas and the Dielectrics mm-hmm. are all going to appear on it um you know, those guys are, are pushing for a record. I was kind of going for an EP. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's already merch made. There, you know, button stickers, shirts, they're cool. on the way. Yeah. The The plan is to do a seven inch and try and drop it sometime next month yeah. with me and everybody else doing what we do. We're all like hustling, you know, I would say by summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the goal was by next month. Yeah, yeah. Um, so depending on where the money lies, it looks like, you know, uh, a four song seven. Um, will be out because I definitely want to do vinyl mm-hmm. this this round. Um, so the the seven inch will come out and I'll drop everything at the same time. Mm-hmm. Shows are kind of up in the air. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know who my band's going to be. I mean, I definitely know who is probably going to be asked. You yeah. know, yeah. like I know locally around here, like John's probably going to yeah. end up playing shows in that band. I, I, you know, Robert expressed some interest at one time. He's all over the place too. Yeah. I mean, that would be an incredible team. Oh yeah. Like we haven't talked about it in depth, but you know, uh, that would, that would be a good lineup. Yeah. But like I said, we're making it to where it can be interchangeable. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's not reinventing the wheel. It's, it's, it's kind of, uh, the same stuff I've always done. You know, it's, it's going to be kind of punky. It's going to be a little post, um, it's going to be a little emo it's but you know mm. but uh the good news is i'm making music and like um with kind of like a a, a a new outlook yeah. on why i'm making music and then other than that it's just uh yeah the mural stuff that i do like mm-hmm. you know you'll you'll see it around um you know i try and work i'm passionate about working locally as yeah. much as possible yeah. so i'm trying to break into the market out here on this side of the river um, outside of the city trying to trying to get more stuff out here in belmont and gastonia mm-hmm. there's hopefully there's one coming for the rooster uh, if we uh, we both get on the same page with that so cool. yeah. yeah so that's that's it you know Bellbox. you can look look for that hopefully by summer yeah. new songs the chances of there being a dielectric show in the future are pretty high um mm-hmm. especially since we're all I, I think feeling new new musical energy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know that there's going to be a new record, but I know that there'll there'll be some shows, and you'll definitely, you know, see me try and progress and 
through art and be doing more. I, I'm doing a lot of more promoting, a lot of events. Yeah. And we're also trying to bring that this way too. We're trying to, to, to build up more culture on this side of the river. Yeah, we definitely you know, need it. Out in Gaston County. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I've done a couple of successful events that I, that I wasn't, I wasn't so much performing at, you know, as an artist where mm-hmm. I brought in artists that I think need to be, yeah. you know, shown off a little bit and they, they need neither break. So, yeah. yeah. So that, I mean, that's, that's it, man. That's what's going on with me. Heck yeah. Well, that's cool. Whenever you get ready to play a show, we'll have to do something together. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah. It'd be good yeah. to play, um, play a show together again after all these years. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, um, like, you know, you were at the top of the list when I decided to do an art show. So definitely yeah. when I go to, to play some rock and roll, like I, I would love to play with you guys again, get like uh, some of the old blood in the same room yeah, together. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. A lot of fun. It would really be cool to do a milestone show. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, definitely. Yeah. Cool. We'll do I'll that. Wait, you know, yeah. <laughs> hopefully, yeah, hopefully, I can get it together and like get these songs done. And, yeah. <laughs> and and find people that want to play them. Oh, you'll so. find people like like you've already mentioned a couple that are probably just raring to raring to do it yeah. if, they, if, if they can fit it in. I'm sure Johnny can fit it in. Yeah. Robert Robert's a little t- tougher, but you know, it's funny. It's like if they're <laughs> listeners, they're, they're going to hear this, and he's like, "Really? Is that what we're doing? Like, <laughs> this is the first time hearing of it." <laughs>
been a Gabagabba Hunt Media Production. Nah, I asked him first. <laughs> I can't say that. I, I kind of figured that, but you know, I, you, I, I know how Johnny is. He's he's ready to do just about whatever. Oh yeah, you know. I mean, man, you know, knowing John since I was 15 years old and being in and out of bounds, and he, you know, for most of that, he was my roommate. Like mm-hmm. he, he lived with me. He was my big little brother because um, I, I often felt like I was the big brother in that relationship. Mm-hmm. But he's always been. Give you the shirt off his back. Oh, yeah, definitely. He didn't have a dime in his pocket, man. Like back in the days when we did party, Mm -hmm. you know, you had a rough day. You knock on John's door and we're like, hey, man, you want to go out? And he's like, well, I don't have any money, but I'll drive you. We can go anywhere you want. Like, let's go. You know? (laughs) Um, Yeah. He's always been a shirt off his back type of dude. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. He's just, uh, he's got this way of always trying to roll me into his project. Yeah, that's that too. I've told him, I said, the only reason me and him haven't played together is because we both play bass, but eventually we're going to put together like this band that has two bass players and me and him are going to play together. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of turning the tables on because it's going to end up being like, I want to lure you over to do my project, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's like some type of Monty Python sketch or something yeah. where he's like, Oh no, just gonna come over and work on some songs. And then it was like, aha, Next thing I you got know, you. You're be in his band. Yeah. I got you. He's like, we'll, we'll eventually get to your songs, but first learn these, yeah. you know, like, like, man, I don't want to be in this project. Sounds like Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> Love that dude. Yeah. It's like, a, it's like he, you, you follow the Skittles to the box and he like drops the box on you. Yeah. Trap. Like, I gotcha. Like, Ooh, piece of candy. <laughs>